0: This week's class is by Brother David Hill on the topic of depression. He gave this as an exhortation um, at the Mount Barker meeting on February 28th of this year. Um, this class was absolutely excellent, um, this, uh, this exhortation, excuse me, I re- really, really enjoyed it. I think it actually spoke directly to me, specifically at the beginning when he talked about common criticisms that we make of brothers and sisters who deal with mental health issues, um, and he does it in a really tactful and powerful way, um, kind of being very clear on, um, just some of the mistakes that we can make in working with our brothers and sisters, um, who might have a mental health struggle. Um, I'm excited to, excited to share this exhortation. It was definitely beneficial to me. Um, this was given to us as a suggestion right after we posted episode 125, which was an exhortation, uh, also by Brother David. And, um, I also wanted to, uh, mention, uh, still one of my favorite classes we posted, which is uh th- the same topic by Brother Philip Davidson, which is episode thirty seven. Um, so if you want kind of more of Brother Hill, episode one twenty five, and if you want to hear more about depression, episode uh, episode thirty seven is absolutely excellent. Thanks again to the brother that um, submitted this one, and uh, here is Brother David Hill's exhortation from February twenty eighth.
2: Anxiety in the heart causes depression." Did you know that those words come from the Bible? That's how most modern translations render Proverbs 12, verse 25. You see, anxiety and depression aren't foreign to the Bible. Have you come here this morning, brother or sister, way down with a feeling of depression or with anxious thoughts do you often feel that you suffer alone unwilling or unable to share with others that you are depressed or that you are suffering from anxiety this morning brothers and sisters in a careful and respectful way to those who suffer terribly in this way we want to look at what the bible has to say on this topic because it actually has a lot to say and it can provide all of us with a lot of comfort and a source of hope in these difficult times and it can also lead us right as we'll see to the feet of our lord jesus who suffered in all things like as we do obviously without sin. But before we do that, we really have to begin by debunking or busting a few myths that sadly still remain in our community. They're not things that we would ever say out loud, but they're sadly things that many of us still feel deep down inside, ingrained in our psyche perhaps the way we were brought up, perhaps the way we think about mental illness. are seven myths we'll endeavour to bust, as it were, and the first is that depression itself isn't real. You know, depression can be particularly challenging to suffer from in our community. Because sadly, as I said, many misconceptions and stigmas still remain around this most difficult of topics. One is a deep-centred scepticism that it's actually even real. That perhaps depression is just hypochondria dressed up as another name. Perhaps it's simply the consequence of an increasingly soft, and self-absorbed society, that all these people who are softer than perhaps generations of the past, self-absorbed with the sort of ubiquitous selfie and that that is why uh, depression is talked about so much more today, that it's not really real, it's just the symptom of that kind of society. Well, the reality that we all know is that depression is very real. It affects the ability of our brains to function properly. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. And it's certainly something that's not shameful at all. After all, as we saw in our opening remarks, even the Bible recognises it as an illness. Which is exactly what it is. The second myth, depression is purely circumstantial. Yes, there is clinical depression but any other form is just a circumstance. And yes, it is very true that depression can often be triggered by a very unfortunate circumstance, a tragedy or an affliction. But does that make it any less real? I mean, take stress, for example. Heart disease can be triggered by stress. Does that mean that just because it's triggered by a circumstance, a stress in our life, that heart disease is any less real? Of course it doesn't. Why then do we sometimes harbour, as I said, we don't come out and say it, out loud, but why do we sometimes harbour this cynicism or scepticism about depression or anxiety or other forms of mental illness? Third, depression is just laziness dressed up as an illness. Again, we would never come out and say this, we would never say that to a brother or sister you're not depressed, you're just lazy. But again, sadly, in our community, views like this can be deeply held in our minds, in our psyche, in our attitude to people. Someone who's suffering from depression is already suffering enough to have someone imply that they're not doing enough. You think about it, brethren and sisters, when someone in our ecclesia suffers from a physical illness, a disease or an illness we might be more familiar or comfortable with, we rush around to their home with meals and support. The care is very evident. Is it the same when one of our numbers suffers from depression? from anxiety or mental illness? Do we have the same care? Do we show the same love? Or do we sometimes meet their suffering with a bit of a dose of scepticism or cynicism? The next two are a little more sinister, but again, would never be openly perhaps discussed or... People wouldn't openly necessarily come out and say them, perhaps outside of a family home. But the fourth myth is that depression is a sin. We'd never say it, but do we imply that? You see, there's many who privately harbour that view. where, Where would you ever get such a notion that an illness, depression, can be a sin, Well, the narrative essentially goes like this why ever would a man or woman of faith who trusts in god why would they ever be distressed or depressed we know that paul in romans 14 verse 23 says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin and so the narrative goes that clearly to be depressed implies a lack of faith if we had that trust and faith we wouldn't feel that way And so, therefore, it must be sin. Well, not only would that be a gross misinterpretation of what Paul was talking about. It's incredibly unfair. Depression is an illness. It's not a sin. Would we ever go up to somebody who was suffering from cancer... And say, well, if you had just been a little more faithful, you wouldn't be suffering this. You wouldn't be feeling the effects of cancer. But do we sometimes project the impression or make others feel that if they're suffering from a mental illness, from depression or anxiety, that perhaps it's a function of a lack of faith? It ought not to be. The fifth myth, depression is a consequence of sin. Again, we wouldn't come out and say this, but sadly still to this day, when people suffer physically, but also mentally, we somehow imply that, well, clearly they're depressed. Look at their life, look at their life choices. Look at the sin they've committed. I mean, of course they ought to be depressed. Of course that's why they feel down. Perhaps we imply that, in words to that effect, that depression is a consequence of sin. Brethren and sisters, depression is not the fault of someone. And it's certainly not a punishment from God for sin. You know, Jesus was really clear on that, wasn't he, when he spoke about the blind man? He said, Look, it's not a consequence of his or his parents' sin that he was born blind. It's not a consequence of any sin or any sin of anybody else that we might suffer the illness. The tragic illness of feeling or being chemically depressed, anxious, suffering deep anxiety and other forms of mental illness. And then the sixth, that sometimes sort of pleasantly endeavoured to be conveyed in cards or sentiments, that depression will just go away if we just prayed loads, you know. We're praying for you, which is a lovely thing to say, of course, and we should, but do we give the impression that if somebody just prayed more, read more, meditated more, praised more, was at the meetings more, then, woof depression would just fly away on the wings of dawn. All would be fine. I mean, think about it, brethren and sisters, do we say that to someone with a brain tumour? oh, you know, like double down on prayer and it'll, it'll, it'll just go away. We would never say that, would we, brethren and sisters? We would never say such a thing to someone suffering depression, someone deeply anxious. But do we imply it sometimes? Is it, is it sort of somewhere deep here in the back of our minds? Yes, God can cure mental illness just as he can physical, but the way he often does that is through the medium of skilled professionals able to help us. Now, I've thought long and hard and ebbed and flowed as to whether to say the next, the next myth And I pray that you'll forgive me if if this is hurtful to anyone that's suffered in this way. But the seventh myth is that suicide is the unforgivable sin. It's not. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. You know, when one succumbs to a physical illness, we often say that they died of natural causes. Why do we make it different if someone so tragically succumbs to their mental illness? Why do we distinguish? Some people die of a broken heart. Some people heartbreakingly die of broken minds. It's not the unforgivable sin. So there are some of the misconceptions that, as I said, we would never talk about, often out loud, but perhaps we hold them. And they're not true. But they're certainly not helpful to us when we suffer or when someone else suffers deep pain, often all alone. So we come sometimes, don't we, to a memorial meeting, and we say, "Does anyone feel like me? Does God know how I feel? Does Jesus know how I feel? Do my brothers and sisters know how I feel? Do the do the greats, the icons of the Bible, know how I feel?" Well, yes. They most certainly do. Let's have a look at some of the extraordinary characters of the Bible. Icons, greats of faith, men and women, brethren and sisters who will absolutely be in the kingdom. And let's look at the anguish, the anxiety, the depression, the deep feeling of depression that many of them faced. I'm going to run through these. We won't be able to turn them all up. But let's start with Moses. Moses, the friend of God, the servant of God, an extraordinary figure in the Bible. But the weight of leadership of the people got to him physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, to the point where he plunged into deep depression. Listen to these words Numbers 11, verse 10. God, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Now, none of the verses I'll quote from are all my paraphrasing. These are all straight from the NIV. This is what Moses says if this is how you are going to treat me please go ahead and kill me kill me that's moses brethren and sisters the friend of god asking god if this is how it's going to be i'm out take my life that's moses What about David the beautiful thing with God is he looks past our anxiety our depression to the essence of who we are and he loves that David was a man after God's own heart but he suffered extraordinary despondency despair deep depression psalm after psalm that either he wrote or that I believe was written about him Let me read you these, Psalm 31 verse 7, you know the anguish of my soul, I am in distress, my eyes grow weak, my life is consumed by anguish, and my ears by groaning, I have become like broken pottery. Psalm 38 verse 6, I am bowed down and brought very low, I am utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart, Lord, my sighing is not hid from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes, my pain is ever with me. Psalm 42 verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me psalm 77 verse 2 at night i stretched out untiring hands and i would not be comforted i groaned and my spirit grew faint you kept my eyes from closing i was too troubled to speak Have we ever felt like this this is david you know brothers and sisters the honesty of david is immense comfort to brethren and sisters today who try their best against, against extraordinary adversities in life in the organ of their brain that doesn't function like other people's and they resonate with david thank god this is here psalm 102 our reading for today our reading this week My days vanish like smoke. My heart is sick, the New Living Translation says. I forget to eat my food. I have no interest in food. In my distress, I groan aloud. I lie awake. I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. For you have taken me up and thrown me aside. Psalm 134, verse 4, my spirit grows faint within me my heart within me is dismayed, my spirit fails. That's the man after God's own heart, brethren and sisters. There is hope, there is love for every single one of us, no matter how our brains make us think about ourselves at times. Think of Elijah. Elijah will herald the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, But this was a man who suffered great loneliness, a feeling of absolute self-defeat and complete despondency. 1 Kings 19 verse 4, he came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. Straight from the NIV, I have had enough, Lord. I've had enough. I'm done. I don't even want to live anymore. He said to God, take my life. This is the man who will lead the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. A great man, an icon. Maybe some of you have felt a bit like that. We're never alone. We're not alone. We'll see that God's with us. And so we stand with these icons of faith. Think of Job. This one is extraordinarily understandable. We, we get that. He suffered at an unprecedented level. And clearly it manifested in, in, in the way he felt. And he was honest with God and with others about exactly how he felt. Job 3 verse 1, Job cursed the day of his birth. Why did I not perish at birth? Why is light given to those in misery, to those who long for death? Why are you keeping me alive, God? He's saying, who long for death that doesn't come. Sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Job 6, verse 8, oh that God would be willing to crush me, to loose his hand and cut off my life. Job 9, verse 21, I despise my own life. Job 10, verse 1, I loathe my very life. I wish I had died before any eye saw me. Job 17, verse 1, my spirit is broken. This from the one God describes, like Moses, as my servant. What about Jeremiah? He's known as the weeping prophet. An extraordinary man. Did amazing things for God. But he felt it. And he was often depressed, often melancholy, often anxious. He wasn't some sort of pop-up little character in a a picture book a kid's book he was a real man and he suffered immensely in his life much of it mentally jeremiah 15 verse 10 alas my mother that you gave me birth i wish i'd never lived jeremiah 20 verse 7 cursed be the day i was born why did i ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to to end my days in shame. Lamentations 3, verse 15, He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me into the dust. My soul is downcast within me. You know, we could go on, brothers and sisters. I'll I'll finish with Jonah. Also, an extraordinary prophet, But we see his despondency, his his dejection, his depression. Jonah 4 verse 3, now Lord take away my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. So brother or sister. Those of you we don't know about. Who come here, brave face, smiles and suffer in silence just about every day and those we do know about, you're not alone. You stand with great people of incredible faith, with Moses, with David, with Jeremiah, You're not alone. You know, when we feel depressed, we feel anxious. It feels like we're in a big hole that we just can't get out of. It feels like we're caught in a net that we just can't break free from. So what does the Bible say to comfort us? when we feel like this. Now don't worry those of you who are suffering that way, I'm not going to quote those verses that do nothing for you, I I get that. You know the verses that say, yeah you're troubled but God will wipe away all that in an instant. Because sometimes that doesn't resonate, It, it, it doesn't help us necessarily when we're feeling that way. What, however, Can we cling to absolutely when we feel this way? And there's six points that I'd like to go through for all of us who are either suffering from depression today or may or will suffer before the return of our Lord Jesus. What can we cling to? The first point, which we've already seen to some extent, is that we are not cut off from God. We are not cut off from God. We are never, ever alone. Our God is always with us in the depths of our despair, in the good times and the bad. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed. Crushed in spirit. You know, there's a beautiful thing about the faithfulness of God, and it's this, brethren and sisters, and this is really important. We ought to be so grateful that the faithfulness of God doesn't depend on ours. It's not like he says if you're faithful i'll be faithful that's the deal he is faithful that is why the apostle paul could say i am convinced that nothing will ever separate us from the love of christ and the love of our god as i said before with people like david god and jesus see through to the heart, to the essence of us. And they love that because, brothers and sisters, let's be honest. One of the challenges when we are depressed and anxious is that our brain tricks us into many things. It doesn't function as it ordinarily would. Prayer, meditation, reading, praise. It's not easy when we feel depressed. You know, the the, the weapons of our warfare, the breastplate of faith, can sometimes lie dormant at our feet when we're depressed. It's not easy even reading the Bible because it it, it can sometimes be words on a page. It's not how we're feeling. It, it, It doesn't resonate with us. Our God knows all that. His love changes not. How good is it that the unchangeable, steadfast love of God is not contingent upon us with our changeable and volatile hearts and minds? And I want to say something else here that I'm sure you picked up from the examples of Moses, of David, of Elijah, of Jeremiah, of Jonah, and of Job. And that is, God seeks authentic relationships. Just as every parent here, he wants real relationships. He doesn't want stiff, fake, artificial relationships. God was not intimidated or deterred by the honesty of David, of Jeremiah. Their language is confronting. They question God, they challenge God, they implore God. They say, take my life. Are we honest and open, authentic or wooden with God? Do we pour out our hearts to him? He's not intimidated by our doubts, our frustrations, our fears, our our anxieties. He wants to hear it. Which parent here would not want to hear if their child was feeling that way? How are you going, son? Yeah, good. In fact, I'm brilliant. <laughs> going face on every day. You wouldn't want that, would you? Neither does our God. Why is that, brethren and sisters? Well, there's so many reasons. Well, one of the big ones is the very next psalm. It's because he gets it. He gets it. I mean, he made us. He knows how we think. He knows our brain because, guess what? He made it. Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He gets it because he made us. Who else gets it? Who else gets it, like, really gets it? Because I don't really get you, because I, I, I don't know your mind. I can't see inside your head. I, I have no idea, really, at this very moment. But Jesus, who knew the heart and mind of man, he does. He gets it. Hebrews 2, verse 17, he had to be made like us, human in every way that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest because he himself suffered hebrews 4 verse 15 we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are jesus gets it this morning. He's here. He's in our midst. There's two and three. There's much more than two or three. He's here and he empathises. He knows our weaknesses. You know, we, we often have this concept of Jesus, which sadly isn't the reality. Jesus wanted help. Jesus looked for comfort he knew pain he felt it you know psalm 69 is unequivocally a messianic psalm scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless i feel helpless i looked for sympathy that's jesus he looked for sympathy he felt that need but there was none I looked for comforters. Jesus wanted comfort. It wasn't a walk in the park. It was tough. You imagine knowing at 30 that your ministry would be cut short through an excruciating death. And you bear that mentally every day. Isaiah 53 verse 3, he was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was crushed for our iniquities. He wasn't immune to our suffering, to our anxiety, to our depression. We come this morning to remember Jesus. Well, let's remember him in the garden. This is how Jesus felt. Yes, a a, a warrior, a man of absolute faith, of steely resolve. But this is Jesus too. This is Jesus in the garden. Mark 14, verse 33. He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed. Do any of you feel overwhelmed sometimes? Unable to function, not wanting to leave home. Just, just totally overwhelmed. Can't function. I, my soul is overwhelmed, and sorrow with sorrow to the point of death. And we know Luke twenty-two verse forty-four, being in anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So, we come to remember Jesus. And he gets it. He gets us. Let's talk to him. Let's pour out our lives and our hearts and our minds to our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They get it. They can empathise. And that's our third point. Is that like Jesus, we too can empathise. Not sympathize, you know, like I I can sympathize with somebody, but sympathy means that I'm sad for you, but I I don't feel your pain. I'm not walking in your shoes because I haven't been there. Brother or sister, here today, if you have or you suffer from depression or anxiety, one gift that's not obvious to us at the time, and it's often really hard to do anything with it, but that we have that's immensely powerful is empathy. Because when somebody else as you know, you know this, when somebody else who is suffering or has talks to you, it's different because they get it. And by the way, your prayers are to God on behalf of somebody else who is a fellow sufferer are also immensely powerful because you get it the bible talks about that second corinthians 1 verse 3 god comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted yo know, have you ever thought about that at just a simple, logical, really sort of rational level. Is that not one of the reasons, perhaps the fundamental reason, why we suffer at all? I mean, think about that, right? Suffering helps us develop the characteristics God wants to see in us. Imagine if you never suffered, at all, at anything. Your life was one great utopia. How would you ever develop perseverance, long-suffering, patience? You you never suffered. And then imagine that nobody, nobody, no, no one else suffers. Go figure. How could you ever develop love? Because no one needs it. How would you develop mercy? Because no one needs it. Kindness, no one needs it. Suffering helps us develop the characteristics God wants to see in us. That's just a little aside. Point four. This is really hard. As hard as it can be, and there's some pretty brave people here this morning. When we're suffering, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, let's not cut ourselves off. You know, those words are so easy to say and there's probably some of you saying, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, some probably listening in via Zoom, you don't get it. And and I probably don't compared to the depths that many of you have been, but that's tough. That's extra tough in our community because our community is seriously social. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a really sociable community. And that's really hard for people suffering particularly from depression because when you're depressed, you know what? The last thing you tend to want is to be around other people. You just don't feel like it. But the problem, if we're honest, when we feel that way is that being alone can sometimes be one of the most dangerous things when we're depressed or anxious. Because we know, don't we, that our mind, as we said, plays tricks on us. Our thoughts can often spiral downward and depression is such an overwhelming emotion that it can just drown every other one. And we can trick ourselves when we're all alone that no one loves us. And we're all alone. And no one cares and no one knows and no one understands. Why do I feel like this? We might not feel like having anyone around us. And brethren and sisters, this is why it is so crucial to have friends and why our friends in the truth are so vitally important because you know what they do at a really simple level they can say nothing at all but they just serve as a physical reminder that someone loves us yeah we know our wife or husband our kids love us but somebody else does too That's what friends do. And it's also why the ecclesia is so massively important. It's hard to come through those doors often for the sufferer and sometimes for the carer. But it's helpful in little ways, little ways. Sometimes just a little bit of an exhort somehow gets through and helps us for half an hour. That's good it's good. Psalm 73, that uh, extraordinary Psalm of Asaph, where he's so depressed at the prosperity of the wicked, it really messes with him, gets him way down. And he says, I felt like that until I went into the sanctuary and it helped me put things into perspective. And that's true for us too. But To the men in the room and to the women in the room, to all of us, friendship. Friendship, brethren and sisters. If I can leave you with one thought, be an awesome friend. Be an awesome friend. You are so powerful as a friend, so effective even when you don't say anything because you feel you care you know and the Bible speaks about this Proverbs 17 verse 17 a friend loves at all times the good and the bad Proverbs 27 verse 9 this is from the New Living Translation the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense and this is this isn't my words this is still the same quote Never abandon a friend. Sometimes it's all they've got. So let's always invest and treasure our friendships. Let's invest in them. Don't, let's never take our friendships for granted because when things go pear-shaped, when our minds aren't functioning as they ordinarily were, when we're deeply depressed, they often carry us through along with our loved ones. Point five is also pretty hard to share and I pray that this is done as well respectfully and carefully. As we've said, sadly depression still carries a stigma in our community and there are many as a consequence, who suffer an illness in silence or relative silence. For some of us, it can be our pride. We wish to project to others that we're strong, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, that we're strong. You don't want to hear the expressions of surprise ripple across the community that someone like us, oh did you hear that that brother or sister is suffering from depression? I mean, them? Like, I wouldn't have thought it from them. As if it's some sort of a choice. I mean, why would we express such shock when such and such a brother or sister who's so faithful suffers from cancer. I mean, it it happens. And so you know what we do? There's probably a few here today. There's brethren and sisters here. There's also some Oscar-worthy actors here. Yeah, we, we get really good at it. Those of us who suffer from depression and anxiety, many of us in our community, you know what? We're brilliant actors. We come with our game face, say the right things, sing the right songs, pray the right words, shake, shake, how you going? Good, thanks, yep. And sometimes we go to say a bigger function and guess how it feels afterwards? you're smashed, you're exhausted because you've been full-time acting the whole time. It's a charade. You know the reasons why you do that. But, brothers and sisters, it's not weak to seek help. It's the beginning of greatness in the kingdom of God, to seek that help. The Bible understood that. Je- Jesus said that those who are sick need a doctor. He said that. Those that are sick should see a doctor. He said it. Paul even prescribed, probably in that sense illegally, but he, he even prescribed a little wine for Timothy's stomach's sake and his often illnesses. The Bible gets that we need help. so. Brother or sister, if you feel that you need to suffer in silence, and we all ought to respect that, let's at least be sure to privately get the help we desperately need. The professional help. Our final of the six. As hard as it again can be at times, let's share our depression our anxiety with our god and with our lord jesus we've seen that they already get it 1 peter 5 verse 7 cast all your care upon god for he cares for you solutions won't be immediate miracles may not happen instantaneously but it doesn't mean god has left us And it doesn't mean he doesn't care he will never leave us nor forsake us even in the darkest valleys what about jesus come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden they know we're depressed they know we're anxious and they invite us to unload on them to take a load and put it on their shoulders they want it they don't want us to cry alone psalm 102 pete read it you could you could tell from the way pete read it that first bit it's a depressing first psalm and then the second bit was more you know vibrant but the first bit's tough the psalmist cried and we can cry we don't know what's happening to us why am i feeling this way And very dark thoughts enter our minds. But the point is, let's not cry alone. Let's cry to God. Let's at least put it on Him. If you're out there, God, if you can hear me, please, this is how I'm feeling. Psalm 56, verse 8. You have seen me tossing and turning through the night. You have collected all my tears and preserved them in your bottle you've preserved my tears in your bottle how is that brethren and sisters what a beautiful verse have you seen that one before our tears don't hit the floor a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground we are worth more than a sparrow our tears don't even touch the ground without god catching them in his bottle Cry to god Cry to Jesus, they hear us. Because as I said, it may be that until the kingdom, we bear this cross. There are many who suffer a chemical depression, an imbalance, and will bear that till the Lord's return. It's like the Apostle Paul who prayed that the thorn of the flesh would be removed, but it wasn't. So that the grace of Jesus would rest on him so that it would be great in weakness. And that's the point, isn't it, brethren and sisters? As hard as that is to grasp in all things, somehow, it's not obvious to us, God is working together for our ultimate good because he loves us. So our theme this morning was walking through dark valleys. Psalm 23, though I walk through the darkest valleys, you are with me there. It's real. It's hard. It doesn't just go away. But God is still there, even at times when we can't feel him there. Let's also look forward to the time when we will finally shrug it. It will all be gone. Our brains, like the, they're like any other organ in our body. They get sick. They will be healed. When we will soar with wings as eagles. When we will run and not faint. Those beautiful words of Isaiah 40 will be true. We feel down sometimes, way down. We will soar mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. What a joy that will be and how awesome it will be to see our brethren and sisters who suffer today leaping like little calves set free from the stalls. And our brother Andy alluded to it, one of my favourite verses in all of the Bible in Revelation 21. Soon, brother, soon, sister. Our God and our Lord Jesus are going to reach down and they're going to wipe away every tear from our eyes when finally there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more physical, no more emotional, no more mental, And no more spiritual suffering. For it will be a new Jerusalem. And the former things will have passed away.
1: Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm GCT or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages, where we are at good Christadelphian talks on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at good talks at gmail.com or messages on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next
2: week.